When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, if you haven't checked out What Chaos yet, you oughta, because we've had all your favorite players on the show. I'm talking Seth Jones, Lena Solmar, Connor Bedard, whoever it may be. We're live every day on YouTube at noon Eastern, but also available on all podcast platforms, including the one you're listening to right now. We got guests, and yeah, we're also doing a bit of chit-chat, goofing around, laughing at what makes us laugh in hockey. So regardless of how deep you are into your hockey fandom... Come listen to What Chaos. We'll talk about your favorite team. We'll talk about your least favorite team and everybody in between. And we're having a ton of fun doing it every single day, Monday through Thursday. It's What Chaos, presented by All City Network. At Sandy Spring Bank, we care about people, not transactions. So we concentrate on creating personalized solutions, to start or grow a business that provides for your family. To purchase a home that will house the memories you make there. To save, so you can enjoy today and then pass on your legacy to future generations. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk. Visit sandyspringbank.com real. Mortgage, home equity, and other credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or throws it, he's in. A backhander to save by Tony Esposito. Stan Makita was a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that knife down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Six seventy, the scores, hockey guy Jay Zawaski. No more, Hawks win, Hawks win again. Chris Jelios in overtime. Part of Blue Wire Podcasts. Game off the boards, he shoots, he's going down to the tape. A game-winning goal. The Hawks live to fight another day. Falling back, circle and drives, get it from The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, Dr. Squatch, and by the Cincinnati Law Group. Let's drop the puck. Boy, there were a lot of great highlights in that uh, package for our new intro, but unfortunately, Chicago Blackhawks really couldn't match that level of intensity and awesomeness tonight as they lost 6-3 to the Carolina Hurricanes in Raleigh, blowing an early lead, doing what they do best disappointing us one game at a time <laughs> wow. i am indeed james Naveau from nbc5 chicago and with to, with me to kind of wallow in our misery you is jay zawaski of six seven the score and the i'm fat podcast i can't even come up with a clever uh thing that you've done because i'm just i'm sad jay I wanted, I wanted to win tonight. I wanted to feel good about something, and the Blackhawks were like, no, no, no. You get nothing, and you like it. Oh, my God. You broke me early on. Good job. Good job by you. I was not expecting that kind of a comment, uh, but it's accurate. Six losses in a row. The Hawks lose 6-3 to the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, welcome into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I know it's been a while, so we appreciate you. Sticking with us, uh, yeah, follow us on Twitter at MadhousePod. Email us, MadhousePod at gmail.com. We're going to get to some emails for the first time this season. 
Um, obviously going to talk about the game. We're going to also talk about Tom Wilson's nonsense and the NHL's subsequent nonsense. Uh, oh, yeah. Make sure you check out our merchandise uh, shop too, madhousepodmerch.com and everything Madhouse Podcast lives at madhousepod.com. So, yeah, six loss in a row. Hawks uh, officially eliminated on Monday night. So this game didn't have any bearing on the Blackhawks playoff status. Um, better start. Got out to a 2-0 lead. That goal by Mike Hardman was really nice and a nice assist by Mackenzie Entwistle. Uh, Bunch of NHL career firsts there. Got to dig that. Yeah, and then everything kind of fell apart um, as it's tended to do lately. Now, want to make sure if you missed the game, the final score is 6-3, but uh, Carolina scored a pair of empty netters uh, at the end of the game there to make it look a lot worse than it was. However, uh, all that matters is the Hawks have lost again. And here we are sort of, uh, you know, tying a bow, putting the final nail in the coffin, whatever cliche you want to use on another season of Blackhawks playoff list hockey. Yes, they were in last year, but we know that didn't really count. I mean, they did technically get to the playoffs. That series they won against Edmonton did technically count as a playoff qualification. So if you want to hang your hat on anything, it's that they've only missed the playoffs three of the last four seasons it only took a pandemic and the 12 seed being allowed in the playoffs for them to get in so if that can happen every year (laughs) jeremy cowan's in business my friend that he's got he's set for life (sighs) let's not talk about jeremy cowan right away i can't no we'll get to it don't worry let's say we we cannot start there because i value my sanity and i feel like it would be way better off to start you want to start with something positive, yes. Jay? I mean, well, I figured last game we kind of came out of the blocks just yelling about everything. Let's go ahead and start with some positives. And there were positives in this game. And I, the first one I can think of right off the bat is that Alex DeBrincat guy continues to be freaking awesome. Second most goals in the NHL since he came off of the COVID list. Jay, I bet you could never guess who's had the most in that time. Austin Matthews. Yeah, I'd be that guy. He's pretty he good at hockey. 33? I believe it is 33. Alex Dabrinkit now with 26 since coming off the COVID list. Had two more tonight. Had six shots on goal. Inclu- one of those, by the way, his first career shorthanded goal. So kudos to Mr. Dabrinkit for achieving that feat this evening. He is continued to be just really strong player for the Blackhawks. We were a little bit worried about him last season, obviously had some real ups and downs. Couldn't really buy any puck luck whatsoever. I think that we alluded to that even as we kind of bemoaned his struggles last season, but this year, those things are all in the past for him. He has been absolutely fantastic and another great game to watch from him tonight. A very rare bright spot on a night that was kind of a bummer for the Blackhawks. Man, he still just is chugging away. He's good, and you're seeing, uh, you know, young players also continuing to make an impact. And and we'll have the entire offseason to break down which of these young players actually matter. That's what's really been on my mind lately. Is once this whole thing wraps up, and there's only three games left, what have we learned? Who are the guys that are going to be Blackhawks for a long time? But we're not going to get into that tonight. But you see, Mike Hardman come in. This was, I believe, his third game uh, with the Hawks this season. Uh, scored a nice goal. That guy just kind of looks the part. You know, he's never going to be a top-line guy or probably a second-line guy, but a solid depth forward that has some scoring, has some grit. You can never have too many of those. I've always been a fan of Mackenzie Entwistle, so happy to see him get another chance. And one guy I want to mention, too, Colin Delia getting his first start in three months. Uh, What did you think of Delia's performance in this one? I did want to mention uh, Hardman has played five games. That was his first career NHL goal tonight. So kudos to number 86 on your uh, score sheets and number one in your hearts. Um, Colin Delia, I thought, did honestly a pretty nice job uh, last night when he got thrust into duty after Malcolm Subban got pulled from the game. I thought that for not having played an NHL game in what feels like forever, he was actually solid last night. And I thought he was solid again tonight. There were some really good opportunities for Carolina, especially really early in the hockey game that I thought that Delia did a really nice job of kind of pushing away and allowing the Blackhawks to kind of find their footing a little bit. I don't think they dominate the back half of that first period without a few of the 
saves that Delia made early on. And then even as the goals started going in for Carolina, I'm not going to sit here and blast Colin Delia for any of the tallies that ended up being scored. I thought he had overall a really solid game. He's never going to be an elite, obviously, like, you know, potential starter for the Blackhawks. He's always going to be kind of that guy who can either be your backup or potentially your top guy in the minor leagues that you call up in a pinch. But I, I think he fits that role well, and I think that's why, probably why the Blackhawks signed him to the deal that they signed him to. And I'm not – obviously, I'm not going to get over, you know, zealous in complimenting Colin Delia or anything like that, but I think for what – he is for the Blackhawks. I think he's acquitted himself well in the last couple of games. And it's a really tough situation for him to be in coming in, you know, not playing an NHL game in three months, uh, then coming in a relief last night and then starting tonight. I'm, I'm glad uh, Cowan gave him the start. I think he had earned that with his performance last night. And look, the guy has been nothing but a professional throughout this entire thing. And he has had opportunities to not be <laughs> right where he's been right. asked by the media, like, Hey, what do you think about this whole thing? And he could have been, you know, he could have expressed some frustration, which I'm sure he's feeling because as we, you know, when we were coming into the season and handicapping this thing, I think a lot of us thought it was going to be Delia Subban Lankinen, right? And then Lankinen came in and was so good. And then Subban came in and was pretty good early on too. So then Delia just never really got a shot. He's been the consummate pro throughout this entire thing. And uh, from what I know about Callan Delia, my limited knowledge of him, I know he's a good dude. I know he's a good teammate. And uh, his attitude throughout this entire thing is is evidence of that. Uh, first start, by the way, for him since the Blackhawks' third game of the season. I just looked that up. Wow. Yeah, that's – and uh, I remember, that didn't all three Hawks goalies gave up five goals in their first start? Is that is – uh, but Lincoln gave up an overtime goal, I think. That was a difference. Uh, yeah, Subban, Subban gave up five in the opener. Lankinen gave up five in the second game, and then Delia gave up five – or no. Um, no, because Delia played, I think, the second and third games. Yeah, whatever it was, they all started yeah. bad. And then Lincoln was the first guy to be not bad. And then <laughs> basically rode that all the way through and uh, – we're not going to bring up how that's been going for him lately because, remember, we're on positive terrain right now. We we need to kind of focus on the good stuff, and I'm trying to kind of look through the score sheet, make sure there's not anybody else I uh, may have missed. I know Patrick Kane had a couple of solid assists tonight. He was also a minus four tonight. Ugh, not wonderful no, for uh, number 88. No. Um, yeah, well, here, I, I mean, hear that's... I have a positive for you, and this is a sure. big picture positive. Give me one. Uh, early in the season, everyone loved Brandon Hagel's game, but was like, "Wow, this guy just can't. He just can't score with any consistency." Uh, if you know, just tell me you know. But I want you to guess in forty-eight games played this season, how many points does Brandon Hagel have? If I had to take a stab at it, I would say he's got twenty-five. He's got twenty-two points. Oh, that's not not a bad guess then. Eight goals. But by Price is Right rules, I lose. Yeah, you. I, I bet a dollar. Uh, no, but uh, <laughs> eight goals, fourteen assists for Brandon Hagel. Uh, I have really loved his development this season, and game after game, night after night, he had a bad game tonight with the. If you look at the metrics, but whatever. Uh, overall, that guy's been a huge bright spot, and I want to make sure that pointing out that the offense has kind of started coming for him. Like it, it, it you know, the, the joke early was, oh, this guy just couldn't hit the bat. You know, what was Doug Buffon saying? Couldn't hit the side of a barn with a banjo. No, couldn't hit a bull in the ass with a banjo. <laughs> and then it was couldn't hit the side of a barn with a boat oar or something like some crazy cliche. But a bull in the ass and a ba- with the a bull in the ass with a banjo was Doug Buffon's go to. And that oh, was kind of the truth with Hagel. And now all of a sudden he's found that scoring touch. He's he's adding goals and assists, and he's been a really effective player. So there's a positive for me. I know it's not necessarily about this game in particular, but just in general, I've been so pleased with his game lately. It's really been remarkable. By the way, speaking of these, I also of, do like the fact they're using him both on the power play and the penalty kill because that's really huge to be able to do both of those things and to be able to be put out on the ice in any situation. Now, whose idea was that? Hmm, interesting. Pretty so, much everybody except Jeremy Colleton's, I think. Shut up. Give give us some credit, man. My apologies. We Jeremy. were the first and only people to suggest that. Um, <laughs> by the way, check out today. There was a good piece in The Athletic about like 20 things that explain the Hawks season. Uh, good stuff on like some of the underlying numbers. Oh, another positive I wanted to point out too. 
Uh, minus two in this game, uh, two shot attempts. Not not a great game overall, but I think Adam Gaudet, since being put into lineup, has been pretty effective. We talk about looking the part and looking like an NHL player. I think the Hawks might have something in him. Now, he is a prime candidate to be exposed in the uh-huh. expansion draft, but I kind of like what I've seen from Gaudet so far. Uh, got 18 minutes and 13 seconds of ice time in this one, including 440 on the power play. Got slaughtered at the faceoff dot one out of five. I'm sorry, one out of six, 17%. But just overall, since he's been inserted in, into the lineup, I've been pretty impressed with his game as well. Yeah, and that's kind of going to bring up one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about extensively during the offseason is it seems like the Blackhawks have a lot of guys who are going to be vying for spots in their bottom six forward group when this is all said and done. And I think that Gaudet definitely is pushing himself into that conversation. Obviously, Brandon Hagel is going to be on the team no matter what. Yeah. Mike Hardman is obviously giving them something to think about. Vinny Hinnestroza, David Camp, Philip Kurashev, all of those guys are kind of vying for what's going to ultimately probably end up being some limited roster spots when this is all said and done. And I'm extremely curious to see not only how this shakes out, but also how the Blackhawks as an organization kind of view those types of guys moving forward. Like what kind of roles do they envision each of these guys having? I'm assuming they look at Brandon Hagel the same way they looked at Andrew Shaw, where he's kind of a second or a third line guy can maybe play on the first line in a pinch. Mm -hmm. I think they probably still look at Kurashev as a guy that they're hoping can tap into some more of his offensive upside because I think his game probably profiles better to be a top six guy if he can end up doing that. But it's a big question of whether or not he can. David Camp is a guy they've given plenty of opportunities to. Do you see him as a third or a fourth line center moving forward, especially if Jonathan Taves and Kirby Dock are able to come back next season at full strength? And then that still doesn't address Gaudette, Hardman, Hinnestroza. Like, there's still so many questions that end up coming up, and a lot of these guys are playing really well right now, and so it's going to be really an interesting challenge to kind of pick between those guys and what roles you kind of envision for them in the future. Well, it's funny. All of a sudden you have kind of this wealth of NHL talent. But like I said earlier, we don't know to what extent, like how many bottom six guys do you need, right? At some point you've got to find that second line winger kind of a guy. And maybe that's Kurashev, right? Maybe it's Max Shalinov who is playing in Russia Playing uh, played this season very well, and it's just sort of speculated whether or not he'll come here and sign or not. Scott Powers is guy. That is Scott Powers guy. Remember, Lucas Reichel could be in the NHL next year too. So there's some stuff on the horizon. It's just a matter of determining who's who and what's what, and uh, who's going to be what for this franchise going forward. And I think after the expansion draft, um, they can really start to evaluate that sort of thing. By the way, fourth line farm. For, the fourth line farm is fertile, fertile right now. Fertile, I say. I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade of prosecuting homicide cases as an assistant Cook County State's attorney, Kent opened his own firm over 20 years ago, specializing in all forms of personal injury cases. He is a huge hockey fan. He is a big fan of the podcast. This is the first time that an advertiser reached out to us to say, hey, I like what you do. I'd like to be part of things. So are you injured? Did you get injured at work? Car accident? you know, slip and fall case, something like that. Kent Simpson is the lawyer for you. His firm's results speak for themselves with millions recovered for their clients. Simpson Law Group charges no fees unless they win for you. So call for a free consultation, 312-332-2107 or visit SimpsonLawGroup.com. That's S-I-N-S-O-N LawGroup.com. Don't go off sides, go top shelf, call Kent Simpson and the Simpson Law Group today. All right. I think we've talked about a meaningless game long enough. Uh, Before we get to our email segment, I want to press your brain a little bit on the Tom Wilson thing. Okay. And pick your brain. Did I say press your brain? At least you didn't target my brain like he probably (laughs) Exactly. So I think by now, anyone listening to this podcast has probably seen the Tom Wilson situation against the Rangers uh, last night. The NHL coming down very hard. Oh, just very, very hard on Tom Wilson. Violently so. Who's like a thousand-time offender. Listen to this crazy fine the NHL gave Tom Wilson. A $5,000 fine. 
which is the maximum allowable under the under the collective bargaining agreement, which tells you all you need to know. For a guy like Tom Wilson, making $5 million plus a season, $5,000 is not a deterrent for him or anyone. And let me read this statement from the New York Rangers. Did you see this, James? I, I saw the statement. Uh, I will reserve my comments on it until you read it to okay. our good listeners. This is from the New York Rangers after they found that it was just a fine of $5,000 for Tom Wilson. The New York Rangers are extremely disappointed that Capitals forward Tom Wilson was not suspended for his horrifying act of violence last night at Madison Square Garden. Wilson is a repeat offender with a long history of these type of acts, and we find it shocking that the NHL and their Department of Player Safety failed to take the appropriate action and suspend him indefinitely. Wilson's dangerous and reckless actions cause an injury to Artemi Panarin that will prevent him from playing again this season. We view this as a dereliction of duty by NHL head of player safety George Peros and believe he is unfit to continue in his current role. That, my friend, is a press release. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And they are not wrong. And they're also about to be very much fine more than Tom Wilson was fine. Who cares? I, I, to me, it's worth putting that statement out and putting pressure on the league. Yeah, because obviously a $5,000 fine, like you had mentioned, isn't going to do jack-all squat to kind of deter Tom Wilson from doing anything. Not that obviously anything has deterred him up until this point. But I think the thing to me, the most distasteful part about all of this was the fact that the Capitals last night made their little made a little snarky comment about Tom Wilson choosing violence because they're trying to sound cool with the TikTok generation. And they posted that, deleted it about 10 minutes later, and then every reaction to the Rangers statement today was some like derivative kind of comment about that, which I personally appreciated. But I just thought the Capitals kind of making light about something that really should not have been made light about i don't even know if that's the right way to say it i i just thought that that was pretty uh garbage from the capitals as well and just indicative of the way that it seems like their entire fan base just kind of embraces tom wilson and tries to paint all of his antics as cheese uh you know kind of cheesy little shenanigans he's just you know he's cheeky you know he's just a guy and not a violent moron who should be suspended for quite a long time because frankly that's all he's good for is physically assaulting other players and then having the Capitals fans, I guess, defend him. I'm just sick of Wilson's antics. I think he should have very obviously have been suspended for these hits that he laid last night. And I just, I think they're just indefensible and it's just indicative of the type of player that Tom Wilson is. And he just doesn't belong in this league with those kind of antics. Well, here's the other thing. And the Rangers called it out. George Peros as your director of player safety is like making me the spokesman for Weight Watchers. It's just not, it doesn't work. George Peros was one of the game's biggest goons. He was part of a company called the Violent Gentleman that sold MAGA style hats that said, make hockey violent again. This is the guy you're putting in charge of player safety. This is the guy. And this is, You know, part of the issue with hockey and why hockey is having a problem getting over the hump in terms of becoming a more popular sport in this country. It is run by the same kind of guy, right? The old school hockey traditionalist kind of guy. Those are the coaches. Those are the GMs. Those are the guys in, you know, in the front offices of the league. There's no qualifications that George Peros has that puts him that makes him ready for that job. You could say that for a lot of guys in leadership positions in the league, but they're just guys that played a long time or guys that had good relationships with people in the league. They're not qualified to run a league. And this is a big reason why I think people don't really love Stan Bowman because he's not part of that old boys club and he wasn't an old player or whatever. But damn it, look at Stan Bowman's qualifications for his job. You might not like the job he's doing, but he's highly qualified. I think you got to stop putting former players in these roles just because they're former players. Why would you put an enforcer 
in charge of player safety. And it's not to say that maybe they couldn't do it, but the evidence around George Peros's performance in this job so far has been dubious. He's not doing a good job. He's not doing a fair job. Anyone in their right mind would look at what Tom Wilson did last night and say, ridiculous, suspension indefinite, and we'll work it out from there. A $5,000 fine? Yeah. That's insulting, man. And you had one of the best and most exciting players in the game. One of the guys who could pull you from, you know, relative obscurity to the to a bigger platform next year when the NHL moves to ESPN and Turner Sports, Artemi Panarin. So Tom Effin Wilson can drag a guy down to the ice and slam his head in or whatever. Who are you protecting? Why is the league protecting Tom Wilson and not protecting Artemi Panarin? This is what pisses me off more than anything. And obviously there's been plenty of uh, finger pointing going back and forth on who should be blamed or who shouldn't be blamed. I know I've seen a couple of different player agents kind of call attention to the system saying that they need some type of a a neutral arbiter to kind of decide these things. You shouldn't have a person employed by the league, I guess, doing this kind of disciplinary action or whatever. To me, it seems pretty obvious that whatever the current system is, is not working. And I'm kind of surprised at the fact that the NHLPA hasn't raised more of an issue. And I get it. You want to be really careful because you're a union that does represent all of your members. But when you have one of your members behaving in this type of irresponsible fashion, I feel like at a certain point, you have to take the collective good over the good of the single member who's screwing up constantly, right? I think that that... That, to me, is the ultimate barometer. You have to defend the vast, vast majority of your players who are not doing things like this, even if it means potentially making an example out of the one guy who is endangering them. And I think that that, to me, is kind of where the NHL needs to go with this, is they need to address the disciplinary system that they have. The the neutral arbiter does sound like a really good idea. Somebody that the NHLPA and the NHL can kind of agree on, I think, would be probably a good avenue forward. I just... Basing what I've seen from George Peros on what he's been doing in the NHL this season, to me, he's just he's a player friendly guy who's trying to make sure that he doesn't kind of mess with anybody or ruffle any feathers. And I just don't think that he's cut out for the job. And I think that this is another great example of this because it's very clear that Tom Wilson, as a repeat offender, should have been suspended for this. It was a slam dunk as it got and he failed to act. Well, let's take, you know, let's take the fact that George Peros was an enforcer out of it. How about just the fact that he's a recent player? Think about this. Like, let's say Brent Seabrook retired, right? And all of a sudden the league hires him to do this job, player safety. And Duncan Keith lays a headshot on somebody. Is Brent Seabrook going to call things the way he should for Duncan Keith? No, those guys are buddies. They've played together forever, obviously. That's the problem with George Peros played, you know, within the last decade. Yeah. And he knows a lot of these guys. Someone in that role, in the player safety role, should not be a former player, especially a former player of recent vintage that's played with any of the guys in the league right now. I just it just bugs me. I'm it's sure just, the response to that would be that the former player knows how quickly the game develops and how quickly you have to make decisions on the ice, and therefore they would be in a unique position where they would be qualified to make a judgment call about whether or not an action was safe and or unsafe. Well, then you know what you do? You hire guys like that to be the advisor to the director of player safety. So if the advisor has a question like, hey, I'm sort of on the fence about this this play, what do you think of it? Right. Is this something that could have been avoided? You lean on those guys for their expertise, but you don't make them the decision makers. You don't make them the the ultimate arbiters of the disciplinary decisions because there's no way in hell you look at that crap from Tom Wilson last night and say, eh, no suspension, five thousand dollars. And they can go all they want and say that's the maximum of you know allowable fine in the CBA, which is true, which it is. That's why you've got to come down hard in other ways. And to do anything short of suspending Tom Wilson indefinitely is a huge, huge miss for the league. And it's just, you know, it feels like every time we see the NHL in the news, it's something like this. And it's frustrating as a hockey fan. And look, I'm not saying, 
another part of the problem is the recourse players used to have in the situation was you do that to my star player. I'm going to fight you. But now with the instigator penalty, if a guy's going to fight a guy, he's looking at 10 and five, right? So there's the hesitance to just grab a guy and fight him. And the guys who make those hits know that they're not going to take an instigator right now. They're not going to take a penalty right now. They're not going to lose a guy for 10 minutes right now. And, you know, I've said for a while they should get rid of fighting in the game. But since it's there, they got to get rid of the instigator. Because if you're going to allow fighting, you've got to have some repercussion for the guys who are going to go headhunting and then no, no one's going to come after me because they're going to be out five and 10 that, that, that it's, there's no deterrent for these guys in any way, shape or form. And it doesn't really seem like, honestly, if, if you do kind of have to square up with a guy, it doesn't really seem like that's been doing anything to effectively deter guys anyway. So well, it never did that's why 80s. the off-ice discipline has to really kind of come to terms with that because if a guy is not worried about getting his face punched in for some transgression, then you have to punish him in another way. And if you're not willing to suspend him, then what are we even doing here? I'm just saying, if you want this game to evolve and take the next step as a sport – You've got to stop living in the Stone Age. You've got to hire young business people. Let your hockey guys advise, right? But let the smart intellectual types run these parts of the league and develop the parts of the league, like in terms of the marketing and even like the discipline, all those things. You can't put everything in the hands of former players because they're simply not qualified. And yes, there are guys that are qualified. Like I know George Peros is a smart guy. John Scott is one of the smartest guys to ever play hockey, believe it or not. He really is. But it doesn't make them qualified for this job, especially when they're so shortly removed from having played the game. That's my frustration. And I just, look, I just want this game to thrive. I want this game to be, I want people to realize how great of a game we have. And if you're a hockey fan, you should want that too. And you should expect more of the league and you should demand more of the league. That's, that's kind of all I'm saying. I didn't get a chance to see what John Scott said about the hit. I know that he posted a video about it. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was upset with the outcome. He thought there should have been a lot more. So he was on the right side of it, you know? And then did you see Andrew Shaw's response to him? I did not. He uh, he teased him for uh, or chirped him for trying to fight Phil Kessel, and John Scott <laughs> was like Ixnay on the fighting egg. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, it's 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 right to try to fight Phil Kessel, but uh, man, NHL All Star John Scott. Anyway. I literally did just watch that video of that fight, so I'm kind of glad that that came up because that was a that was a good chirp by Shaw. I like that. That one. is that's a top notch chirp. All right, uh, gonna get to some emails here in a second. First, want to tell you about our sponsors at uh, Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. You've heard us talking about Fry the Coop for well well over a year now. I think Nashville hot chicken. I know it's all the rage. I know it's a lot of like. Little places are starting to do their own Nashville hot. Even the chains are starting to do it. Nobody does it like Fry the Coop. They've got locations in Oaklawn, Elmhurst, West Town, Prospect Heights, and their brand new location in Tinley Park on Harlem. I promise you, if you go to Fry the Coop, you're going to love it. Even if hot's not your thing, you can order the country style, which is no heat at all. But they've got varying heat levels from mild, medium, hot, to little insanity, to 911, and those hots are hot, so be warned. Tenders, donut chicken sandwich, Nashville hot sandwich. They've got the chicken and waffles. Everything at Fry the Coop is great. You'll love it. Go to frythecoop.com, place your order online, and pick it up at the location most convenient to you. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to answer some listener emails for the first time this season on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. 
I have pen fed, that's a fact. I have pen fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. That's right. We're all uh, fist pumping in the background here. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We're talking about a lot of different things tonight because the Blackhawks lost tonight. Tom Wilson continues to be a pudwack. And now, Jay, it's time, my brother. It is time to throw open the gates and to listen to the voice, to the id of the people. We must know what they have to say. Jay, do we have some emails or what? I do. It's been a while since we've done this, so I want to make sure I got a couple of these in. Uh, there's been a couple over the last few days, so I figured, hey, end of the season, let's get some listener emails in there. And, and Tom sent one actually a couple weeks ago that I wanted to get to. He says, hey, after listening to the latest podcast, something uh, you guys said dawned on me. You said because the Hawks are playing the same teams over and over, the opponents have made adjustments to the Hawks style of play. I agree 100% with your statement, but then I wonder why the Hawks haven't made the same adjustments to their opponents. This coaching staff hasn't made good adjustments during intermissions other than putting players' names in a bingo cage and spinning it to make new line combinations. Love the podcast. Keep it up. That's from Tom. Hmm. So I think I guess to address the main point of uh, Tom's email – yeah, you can definitely question whether or not the Blackhawks are able to make in-game adjustments on the fly. I think that we've obviously criticized the way the Blackhawks have kind of come out and started games, but I don't think that we necessarily have focused as much on whether or not the Blackhawks are able to make the adjustments that they need to make as they go through a game. And I think that some of it, some of the success that they've probably had in the middle or late stages of games has been kind of the bingo cage mentality where you're just kind of throwing guys together to see if you can get something to kind of stick. But it does kind of seem that they have a very hard-headed approach that they're basically going to attempt to fix every single problem with a hammer, even if it necessitates a drill or a screwdriver or whatever. It's just hammer, 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 bang, 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 and see what ends up happening. And I know that might be an oversimplification, but I do think it's a really good point by Tom that they don't seem to kind of have that ability to make the in-game adjustments. And I think that we, maybe in focusing so much on the poor starts and some other elements of this, maybe we've lost sight of that a little bit. I think that's a really good uh, point, a really good thing to kind of watch from the Blackhawks for what's left of this season and then moving forward into next year too. I feel like just kind of off the top of my head, I feel like a lot of our comments after games are good start and then they fell apart, right? Like, okay, first period was okay. And then, you know, then the game got away from them and they weren't able to come back as opposed to bad start and they fell short. I feel like they, you're right. Like when, like when the games were bad, for whatever reason, if they got behind, I never had a lot of hope they were going to come back. And part of that is talent. That's definitely part of it. But the other thing is I don't have a lot of faith in this coaching staff to adjust or come up with a strategy that's going to, you know, revitalize the, the the team or the game or anything like that. I, I just, I don't know, man, I'm down on this staff. I reached out to a source today saying, you know, another late season collapse. Is there any chance that Jeremy Cowlton is fired? And, and I got a, basically a flat out no. This guy's the coach. They're invested yeah. in Jeremy Cowton, right or wrong. And we've said a lot, like it's been all these years and we don't really know what he is yet. But what I do know is he's a guy that falls apart at the end of seasons. And that's not a good I, thing to have when you're a no. coach of a team that's a borderline playoff team. And I do have two things to point out. One, the firing thing seems sort of obvious since he does still have two years left on his deal. And I highly doubt that Rocky Wirtz is looking to hang, hand out just a bunch of free paper to a guy that's not here. 
I know that that's not something Blackhawks fans want to hear, but that's definitely a reality of the situation. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up is you mentioned them kind of falling apart down the stretch every year. Do we have to kind of hold it against Jeremy Colleton that some other teams in the division aren't necessarily folding up their tents and going home, even though they've been out of playoff contention for a while, because it's not like Detroit's been playing awful lately. And I would, I know there's an argument to be made that they've made some progress this year. I, and there's other teams in the NHL. I know I'm forgetting, but Detroit kind of came to mind because we see them so often. You look at the standings right now, the Blackhawks are really dang close to both Detroit and Columbus. And that's not ideal for a team that was in playoff contention until probably two weeks ago yeah very frustrating and six losses in a row are going to change the way you look at the season and look yeah they played good teams there's no doubt about it but guess what like you're in the nhl too you should be able to win one or two of these right like six in a row is inexcusable especially when they're so crucial to staying in a race and look credit to the hawks and credit to jeremy cowden for having them in the race this late in the season. When I say the race, I mean for a playoff spot. Great. That's all fine and good. But when you lose six in a row to end end the season, eh, good vibes are out the window, man. Like you've got to deliver when it's time to deliver. And the Hawks have not done that, um, you know, over the last few years. So very, very frustrating. All right. Another email here from Tanner. He says, how long until the Hawks are contending for the Stanley cup again? I feel that management is wasting prime years of Kane and Taves and the window will be closed before the Hawks are relevant again. Oh, oh, my dear. Oh, my darling. Let me let me disabuse you of a notion. The window is closed. It's not closing. It is closed and has been for, I would argue, at least two seasons. So let's just go with that to start with. Right. The second part of that is that the Blackhawks have a few guys that they could potentially conceivably build around. I'm looking at your Kirby Docks, your Adam Boquist, your Lucas Reichels, your Alex DeBrinkitz, frankly. Those guys, those are good building blocks. They really are. And I'm not going to sit here and bemoan the entire 2020-2021 Blackhawks season like because you have to keep those things in mind, that those guys have made some strides and they've shown some things to Blackhawks fans, and I'm hopeful that those guys are going to be really solid building blocks. That all being said, they're still quite a ways away from being contenders because this defense, as currently constructed, is a total tire fire. They need a lot more help on their blue line, and they are really going to have, frankly, kind of a challenging time of obtaining said help because of the flat salary cap, because of some of the big contracts that are still on those on their books, some of the guys who have retired in this season and the offseason previous it's going to be a big challenge for the Blackhawks to potentially get back to that area where they're consistently contending for cups again. But at the very least, I can offer the kind of hope, I guess, that they do have some pretty solid building blocks if they can get some other things figured out. That's a good way to put it. I don't really know what to add to that aside from, you know, even though we feel good about a lot of the Hawks prospects on defense, you know, Adam Boquist and Ian Mitchell and all those guys. I think we saw that Mitchell's a couple years away from being a consistently uh, positive influence on the blue. Not to say that he's bad by any means, but I think we may, he maybe wasn't as ready as we thought he would be this year. The signs are all there. I'm not giving up on Ian Mitchell by any means. Adam Boquist will never be a stay at home defender, right? So the Hawks are going to have to find somewhere to get defense, right? Like someone who's a defenseman whose job it is to defend. They've got Connor Murphy. Duncan Keith is that guy. But when you look at the way he's been this season, lots of turnovers, lots of, you know, he he just isn't. He is getting old, dude. He really, I hate, I hate to say it, but you can definitely tell that the miles are really starting to pile up for Duncan Keith. And I know a lot of people have their hearts set on, on Dougie Hamilton this off season, but and he's great. Don't get me wrong. And I'd be really thrilled if the Hawks were somehow able to sign Dougie Hamilton, but it doesn't solve your defending problem very much. Right. So um, that's why when you look at Nikita Zadorov, even though people don't love him, if they can get him on a reasonable contract, it might be worth doing just because defenders are so hard to get. And I, I do feel like there is some room for growth in his game, but man, this, there's a lot of, this is going to be the crux of our offseason podcast. So I don't even want to get into it yet, 
but there's so much evaluation that has to happen. Yep, you got a lot of looks. Yep, you got a lot of hope. Who is real? Who is not? To me, that's the biggest question of the offseason. All right, one more email here from Tom before we wrap things up. He it's says, not Tom Wilson, is it? It is not. It's Tom Quinn. Okay. He says, what I was looking for this year was not a playoff run, but improvement from the young guys throughout the year. I haven't seen much progression, and I'm worried that Calton's system negatively affects their ability to get better. Do you think there will be any changes to the coaching staff? Hmm. Also, Stan said before the season started that he wanted a team that was tough to play against. I don't think that this team fits that description. Any thoughts? Thanks, Tom. One thing I want to say is let's not forget how tough and how hard this team played for the vast majority of this season, right? And you heard Ian Mitchell say it earlier this week, and a couple other young guys have alluded to it. It's a grind. And for a lot of these guys, it's their first time playing not even a full NHL season, but even something close to resembling an NHL season. And a lot of these guys are starting to hit the wall, which is understandable when you're playing this many young guys. So I don't want to lose sight of the, I don't know, there was a lot of positivity this year. There were a lot of good things. And I know six losses in a row to end the season are going to make you forget a lot of that stuff, but they did play hard and they were tough to play against. And you saw them frustrate some really good teams uh, a lot this season. So I don't want to lose sight of that, but in terms of the development of the players, that's a different thing. I mentioned the top Brandon Hagel, who has been getting better all year or the pucks has been going in for him. But aside from him, and I think Adam Boquist, who had a mostly, um, you know, upward pointing arrow from the time he came back from COVID till he got hurt again. It's been flat or backwards for a lot of these young players. And, and I do think that there is plenty of questions to be asked about whether or not Jeremy Colleton and his system are adversely affecting the development of these guys. And I think that some of it is going to have to kind of be put on hold because of the fact that there were so many disruptions to so many of these young guys' seasons, whether you want to talk about Kirby Doc's wrist injury, you want to talk about Adam Boquist going on the COVID list, running on down the line. There were usually things happening to all of those guys this season, but but I do think that that is a very – it's a fair thing to ask. It's a fair thing to kind of evaluate whether or not Jeremy Colleton has lived up to his billing that Stan Bowman has given him as this kind of supreme developer and supreme communicator. Has he earned those reputations? If I'm – if you put a gun to my head right now and ask me that question, has he earned those labels? You have to say no. No. And I'm not saying that he never, ever, ever will – because I think that that's something that he still has a, a chance to prove to us that he can do it. But I think if you look at everything that Colleton has done from, from when he got here until right now, and you look at where all those young guys are, I would say he has not earned his reputation as a developer of talent based on what we've seen in terms of the progression of a lot of the totality of the young guys that are on this roster. And look, just like a young player, a young coach has room to grow and develop. And that's why I kind of like the idea of Mark Crawford there with him. Um, I don't know what, you know, Sheldon Brookbank and uh, what uh, Thomas Mattel will bring. And if they'll make some changes there, I don't know. Um, I just, I don't know, man, it needs to be, I, I don't see it enough. And, and I'm with you where Stan Bowman can tell me all this stuff about, how he's a, de a great developer of talent and all these things, but I just haven't seen, like there's a lot of guys that have, okay, that's a young player who's better than I expected maybe a little bit, but then where's the next step, right? That's what remains to be seen. Even you could sort of say with Kirby Doc, right? Like had the great playoff last year, got hurt obviously, and then came back and just was not the same guy he was in the playoffs. And he's got built-in excuses, of course, but I think when he came back, we also expected a little more consistency from him, and it wasn't there. Hopefully, next season, Doc gets a whole training camp under his under yep. his belt and can come out and be healthy for the first time in his career and really take that next step in his career. And again, I want to reiterate, I'm not worried about any of these guys. I think Boquist and Doc and all these young players who we think so highly of are going to be really, really good players. I just I feel like the development has stalled a little bit. And uh, there are, uh, it's, I'm not blaming it all on the coach, but I think that question 
it's fair to ask that question. That's all. And for the record, Kirby Doc should not play again this season. He was out tonight. For those of you who didn't watch the game, was out with a scar tissue issue in the wrist that he had broken during the World Junior Championships. Yeah. There is no reason on God's green earth he should play in any of the final three games. Agreed. Just sit him down and, and let him rest that wrist and, and hopefully doesn't aggravate anything else and get him ready for next season because there's really nothing to gain at this point. And honestly, like if, if he was up for it, Maybe you let Duncan Keith chill out the rest of the year too, because the guy's done enough. He can't. I got nothing more to give. <laughs> Poor Duncan yeah. Keith, man. Twenty-four minutes on of ice time, minus three in this one. Um, those minutes are piling up, and we just—that's the other thing—is you can't keep giving Duncan Keith, you know, 25, 30 minutes a night. You're gonna have to find someone else to take those minutes. He's not gonna be able to do it forever. So these are the off-season questions we'll have to answer. But before we wrap up, want to let everybody know about our sponsors, Dr. Squatch Natural Soap Company. First-time users, you can save 20% with our promo code MADHOUSE20. Go to drsquatch.com, check out the soaps, the hair care kits, the toothpaste, the deodorant, the cologne, the beard oils. If it's natural, if it goes on your skin, if it makes you smell good and feel good, Dr. Squatch has it. You will love it. Again, drsquatch.com. First-time users, use that code MADHOUSE20, and you'll save 20% on your order while helping the podcast at the same time. With that, we're going to wrap things up here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Three games to go. The final two games at home will have fans in the stands. That will be a lot of fun. So James and I will be back in short order with our next episode of the Madhouse Podcast. Until then, Take care of yourselves. Stay healthy. Stay safe. And if you're going to the Hawks game, make sure you send us an email letting us know how it went. Be cool to hear those stories from inside the UC. All right. We'll talk to you very soon on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, Dr. Squatch, and by the Sitsin Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.